following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for coming, man. This is a very special day for a lot of us who've been praying and asking God to give us a common heart and burden for not just the men, but the city of Houston. And the reason why we are really focusing our attention on men is we believe that for some reason there's a mystery. We cannot quite figure out how it works. We can't figure out how it begins. We just know that one of the great end results is that God does something very special when men mobilize together in his name. How in the world he gets started, how in the world he can organize it, how in the world he can put it all together, again, it's still a huge mystery. But the city of Houston needs something from Almighty God that so many of us here are burdened to see happen. And it's not so much about just filling your minds with the knowledge and understanding of God's Word. We want to do that. We want to give you confidence in this book and what God says. But more than anything else is what happens because of that. We believe very strongly that the word leadership in the lives of all of us men really translates itself into one word called impact. How in the world our lives can impact the lives of others. Leadership doesn't mean you have a title. Leadership doesn't mean you have power. Leadership doesn't mean you have resources in which you can manipulate and touch the lives of people. But what it does mean is that your life makes a difference in the lives of other people. Our real dream and our real desire and our real passion is when we gather together and have a great time as men, open up God's word and do something that we could feed on. We want to see and we are praying and we're going to trust God with all the faith we can muster that all of us together when we immerse ourselves in the word of God, that sometime this week as we engage and interact with the lives of people, God will do something special through us to impact the lives of other people You think about how that is multiplied by the lives of all the guys that are here. That's how we want to see the city of Houston begin to change. We all know that the city of Houston is the fastest growing city in the United States. And we know why all of the media says it is growing that fast. They say it's because of oil. They say it's because of finance. They say it's going to continue because of trade and commerce. What we want to see is that we want to trust God to also Let Houston be known throughout the entire world. It's not only a place where you can make money, where you can make this life on this earth in this temporary form something really enjoyable, but we also want them to say that there's something spiritual going on in the city of Houston. And we hear it's because of this person, this one guy named Jesus Christ. And we want that to be spread and multiplied because of all of us together coming on Thursday mornings and praying coming on Thursday mornings and studying, coming on Thursday morning and iron sharpening iron with other guys. Not with just great ideas, not just with jokes, not just with fellowship. All that's going to be included. But way beyond that is our deep, common commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we're going to get up early. That's why we're going to invest in one another because of that deep passion. We want to see God start something here in our lives to touch the city of Houston for the glory of himself. That's why we are here. To do that, let's have a word of prayer as we begin just before this study and trust that God will make this life of Joshua impactful to us 
so that we can influence the lives of people that we meet every single day of our lives. Let's pray and commit this to God. Heavenly Father, we are passionate for you. We are overwhelmed and deeply grateful for the forgiveness you've shown us. Thank you, Lord, that even though we know all of our failings, faults, and shortcomings, your grace has overwhelmed us to give us the privilege of enjoying you forever. Help us, Father, to let others around us understand and be introduced and be overwhelmed just as we are about your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a long time, uh, disassembled Soviet Union was uh, excited because they had a new premier that was now elevated to the position of the highest position in that conglomerate of all these different countries and people. The young premier was really excited. He had risen so fast through the ranks. He was grabbing for every opportunity to enjoy his amazing success. The first chance he got, he went out to the Kremlin because he wanted to see his new office. And when he opened the doors to this massive office, he was shocked and surprised because the outgoing premier, his predecessor, was there in the office. He was a little bit surprised, but then the predecessor smiled and got up from his chair and walked up to the young guy and handed him three envelopes. He said he didn't understand this himself, but his predecessor had done him this great favor, and he wanted to do it for him as well. He said, when things go badly, and they will, even though you don't think they are, when things just fall apart and you have no place else to go, and everything seems like it's lost. Open up the first envelope, do what it says, and everything will be fine. Well, the young premier thought, okay, fine, that's, that's okay. And he threw the envelopes in the top drawer of his desk, thanked the outgoing premier, and thought to himself, the only thing that's going to make things go better in this country is young is in, old is out. Well, the first year and a half, everything went great. The honeymoon was terrific. All his ideas were amazing. People received him really well, and he was elevated to the highest regard in the opinion of the lives of people. But, like all politics, things were going wrong. Things started going badly. It was an awful, awful moment in his life, and he realized that maybe things weren't going to be quite as rosy as he thought. When everything seemed to be at a standstill, and everyone seemed to be now his enemy, he remembered those three envelopes. He went into his office and opened up the drawer and pulled out the first envelope and he opened it up and it just simply said, blame me, your predecessor. So he thought, man, what a great idea. So he called a a press conference that very day and he got up there behind the microphone and he, he railed against his predecessor and said, all these things were his fault. And amazingly enough, it worked. Everything got back to normal and everyone thought he was great again. For another year and a half, things were going smoothly, but again, the wheels came off. He was overwhelmed with how quickly things can go south. He remembered those letters, so he went back in the office, and he opened up letter number two, and he read it, and just simply said, blame the United States of America. (laughs) So he called a press conference, and he blamed the United States of America for all those problems. And sure enough, everything got, got better. Everything turned around again, and his enemies were now his friends, and people thought he was the most brilliant leader that the Soviet Union ever had. Well, a year and a half later, things were going badly again. The wheels again came off. All of his friends were now his enemies. And he thought, okay, I'm going to go back and see what letter number three says. He goes back in his office, opens up the drawer, opens up the envelope. And the simple letter just just simply gave him these instructions. Write three letters. (laughs) I don't know if you have ever been in a situation where you followed successful leadership 
But sometimes when we follow successful leadership, we've got huge hurdles to overcome. So whatever your job is, whatever position God has called you to, whatever you find yourself in the set of circumstances that you're in, maybe you are fighting some of the issues that come because a person that you have followed has been incredibly successful. But because of time or circumstances, they are not there anymore. But for some reason, you are struggling against the shadow that that person has left. One of the most amazing things in life is when people have been very successful and we find ourselves to be the successor of great success, there are specific challenges that face an individual like that. Charlie was late at coming home from high school. He was home probably over two hours late. The family is already sitting down for dinner. And when he opened up the door, he didn't even close it before his parents were both in his face. The principal already called the family and said that Charlie was now suffering his third detention, and that meant suspension was on the horizon. They were yelling and screaming at Charlie, and finally he decided he would close the door. He put himself in the mode because he had received this so many times. He was waiting for that one shoe to fall, the one that his parents always said after they'd gone through their tirade over and over and over again. And those words finally came. Why can't you be more like your brother Johnny? He never gets into this kind of trouble. It's very possible that some of you who are here are suffering or living under the identity of someone who's gone before you incredibly successful. And people are always comparing you to them. It's very possible that you are here as an individual and you might be very successful in your position, but you have yet to prove yourself. And you're kind of wondering how well you really will do and wondering about whether or not you have the talent in order to perform the title and the position that you have been given. Margaret was one of those kinds of women whose talent was obvious to everyone. And when she rose to the level of becoming one of the first C-level people in her company, the first woman to ever receive the C-level position as the chief operating officer, she was ecstatic. The company gave her an incredible party. Everyone was there celebrating. And right in the middle of the party, the CEO walked up with a big smile and took her hand and shook it and then whispered into her ear, I want to see budget reform. I want to see personnel upgrades. I want to see operational efficiencies. Do it by the second quarter. And he drew away and he smiled and said, Enjoy the party. Can you imagine the self-doubt a person would have when your only boss whispers those words into your ear and you're wondering yourself, do I really have what it takes to be successful at what I now have been charged to do? It's possible that you're here and as you look at the responsibilities you've been given, there's just one word that comes across your mind and that is raw fear. You're just absolutely terrified whether or not you can do what you've been asked to do and what people expect to come from you. We men, we're all like that. We always like to show that we are strong. But when we follow someone who's successful, when people like to compare us with others who are around us, the challenges become absolutely overwhelming. We're going to study the life of an individual who followed an incredibly successful person, and he struggled through all these challenges. 
And we're going to find out how God in his word gave him encouragement to be probably one of the most successful characters in the entire Bible. If you know anything about the Bible and the personalities that are here in the Old Testament, one of the most amazing things is how few people ever recorded in Scripture without some major flaw being identified with their personality. Joshua was one of the very few who had none. He had a little bit of a dip one time, and we'll get to that. But as far as a major personal flaw, a major area of his own disobedience, none exists. He is a remarkable example of maybe how many of us as men can live our lives. And then as a result, impact and influence the lives of the people who are around us. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua in chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, we're going to go through the first five verses, hopefully, this morning. And see if we can notice here what God is doing to provide for a young leader who's following a very successful man. Some incredible principles about how God cares for us as guys. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't know how many of you guys would ever want to follow someone like Moses, but he was an incredible leader, the very best, finest leader the nation of Israel, the entire world has ever seen, do such an incredible feat as he had done, taking two and a half million people and leading them out of Egypt to the promised land. All those adventures brought him just to the border without the privilege of entering because of some personal faults that he had committed in light of God's instructions to him. But even though he messed up a couple of times and was forbidden from entering into the land, his leadership skill and the prowess that he had in the minds of the people of Israel was absolutely incomparable. Who on earth would want to follow someone like that? We in the ministry have a nickname for someone who follows a very successful pastor. There's absolutely no way that anybody can follow someone who's been incredibly used for decades of time with a tremendous reputation, with a lot of personal loyalty and following, even though he's out of the picture. The one who follows a very successful pastor, all of us in the ministry, we call that person the sacrificial lamb. It is simply because people will never let that person be himself, and they will always compare that young pastor with a successful pastor that he followed. And they got to get all their energy and all their emotion out, and they take it out on that guy. And he's usually beat up pretty badly. Who on earth would want to follow someone like Moses? And yet God speaks to Joshua. He doesn't speak to the nation of Israel, but he bolsters Joshua's confidence Because one of the things that the Bible almost always teaches us is that one plus God is always a majority. Never any question about that. One plus God is always 
a majority. So God comes alongside young Joshua and he says to him, during this time, historically for the nation of Israel, Moses has died. And after Moses' death, God comes to Joshua and he has this conversation. One of the amazing things that the Bible teaches us here from the very beginning in this whole process is that human comparison is one of the flaws of sinful people. You can't get around it. People will compare us to whomever they like or love, and it's for the purpose of not just elevating the compared one, but it's also to be a slight criticism toward us. There's also that great issue that comes here in the life of a natural person who follows a very successful leader, and that is self-doubt. Eager to get there, but now that the responsibility and the role is ours, we wonder, do I really have the capacity to do it? Self-doubt is one of those great pillars that stands in the way of our own personal impact. Very, very important, thank you very much, that we have to understand, too, that as men, this is one thing we do not like to admit, but we are terribly fearful. When things go badly and we are wondering about the person that we are facing, whether they are predecessor or whether or not they're just our opponent, wondering about our own self-doubt, sometimes we are just deathly afraid. I don't know about you, but I love movies, and one of my favorite movies is that classic all-time hit, the Karate Kid series. And in Karate Kid 3, little Daniel's son, he's standing there and on the ring, and they had arranged this fight between him and this absolute dead ringer for one of the finest fighters ever in that weight class. No one knew about him because he kept on getting uh, eliminated and kicked out because of all of his dirty antics. And all this time during this final match for the, for the championship, Daniel Sun is getting beat up. He's getting beat up badly. He's feeling the pain. He's seeing the dominance in the eyes of his opponent. Finally, he's hit and hurt so badly, he falls out of the ring. Mr. Miyagi runs up to Daniel Sun, picks him up off the floor, and eyeball to eyeball, says, Daniel Sun, get back in the fight. And Daniel simply says to Mr. Miyagi, I don't want to go into that fight. I don't want to go back in there. Mr. Miyagi says, you've got to go back in. Daniel Sun says, I'm not going to go back in because I'm afraid, okay? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Mr. Miyagi says, Daniel Sun, okay to lose tournament. Never okay to lose to fear. I don't know about you, but that's almost good enough to be in the Bible, don't you think? (laughs) Never good to lose to fear. And among all of us today, there are some responsibilities on so many of our plates when we are just deathly afraid to face that issue. If you're overseeing the lives of people, someone's not pulling their weight. You've talked to them before many times. You've given to them suggestions and ideas. You've pointed out as gently and carefully and precisely as possible ways that they are fouling up. It's going to come time, maybe, they are going to have to actually release them, terminate their employment, and you hate that. There are things that we are afraid of. Someone out there is being competitive with us, and they're using us for their own advantage, trying to trip us up along the way, and we know that they're building a portfolio against us. Not just because they hate us. They do that. But because they want to use us as a stepping stone for their own advancement of their career. Those are awful, fearful moments. But if we know that God is on our side and we can continue to do the things that he has assigned us to do with excellence. We could build up a kind of confidence that overcomes the fear, just as Joshua would normally have had them in this situation. God 
circumvents those issues with his ministry to Joshua. And in this incredible passage of scripture, just simply five verses, let them ring through your spirit during this week as you go through your job, your responsibilities at home, interacting with your colleagues and the people involved in your lives. We want to make sure that as God trusts Joshua to lead the people he loves, also he wants us to trust him for the responsibilities that we have in this city. Well, there are these three dragons that we want to see how God wants us to slay them, how he slew them for Joshua before they even came upon the scene. There's a tremendous sense where there's a detachment from any kind of scourge of what is comparative. When people try to compare us with the lives of other people, we want to make sure that our confidence is what God gave us in order to move forward. There's something very special about this conversation between Joshua and God. God simply says that my servant, who is Moses, he's dead. I like that. It's not that God is morbid, but God says the past is the past. Something has ended, and I'm all about life. I'm not about death. I'm all about the future. I'm not about the past. We can respect it. We can regard it. We can hold it to a level of certain value. But today and tomorrow is about you, not about your predecessor. Moses is dead. Now that doesn't mean that the Israelites aren't going to lift him up, and they certainly did during the time of Joshua's leadership. People will do that, but God wants us to know that something has been completed. God loved it. God elevated it. God respected it. But the future is about us. It's about you. It's about tomorrow. Moses is no longer in the picture. Something has come to a final cessation. And the life of Moses is in the past. God respected it. He elevated it. He honored the name of Moses. But now it's time for Joshua to step in for today and for tomorrow. He's going to replace a natural problem of self-doubt with tremendous confidence. So he gets rid of the comparative by simply saying, I'm about today and tomorrow. I'm about life, not about death. I'm about the responsibility that you've been given, not about what somebody else accomplished in the past. So the second problem of self-doubt, once the responsibility is resting on our shoulder, can we actually do the job? Here are some amazing words that God has given to Joshua. Now, get ready to cross the River Jordan. That itself is going to be a challenge, but it's a beginning point. God gave Joshua a project. First steps. Before he can take the land... You've got to get to the land before you can take it. And the river Jordan was a formidable barrier for him and the nation of Israel. Get into the land, and I'm going to do something. Once you get into the land, I will give it to you. Wherever you set your foot, I will give you that land. One of the most amazing things about God is he doesn't tell us, take the land, it's all yours, it's overwhelming. How the world can I do that? God simply teaches Joshua about faith, one step at a time. But be confident, because every time you take that step, the land where your foot lands, I will give it to you. One of the amazing things about this passage of Scripture are the promises that God gives. And when God gives a promise and we trust Him for those promises, by faith, step by step, little by little, Every single day, God has victories waiting for those 
who are obedient to his direction. If we look at the entire mountain, how in the world can we take it? One step at a time. If God gave us the assignment to eat an elephant, how in the world can we do it? One bite at a time. Step by step, faith moves great mountains. And God wants us not to be so overwhelmed with the task that our self-doubt absolutely cripples us. But instead, God wants us to remember one step at a time, and I will help you overcome this tremendous challenge. There's a great sense when we think about what God wants us to do as individuals because fear is something that gets in our way when we are terrified with what is happening. Uh, My wife and I, we uh, moved to San Francisco from Michigan a few years back, and when we moved in the city of San Francisco, things uh, are a little bit tighter. The city of San Francisco is only seven miles by seven miles, and there's 800,000 people who are crammed in there and call it home. You can't spread out, so you spread up, and in multiple layers, you're living above people and below people. And my wife and I, we were not used to that kind of close quarters, and we were frustrated when we were going into our garage which was obviously ground level, and I was missing some of my jackets that were there in our garage. And I went all through our apartment, and we couldn't find them, and I knew that I had left them in the garage, and I suddenly realized that someone had gotten into our garage and stolen my jackets. I looked at my wife. I said, I can't believe it. These were my favorite jackets, and they're gone, all three of them. Someone stole them. So we called up the insurance company, and they told us, well, we're really sorry that happened, and uh, tell us the approximate value of the jackets that were stolen. I told her, she says, boy, that's, that's really sad, but that all, actually all follows underneath your, your deductible. So I'm afraid we can't help you, even though we will take note of this particular problem. So we were really double disappointed. About a month later that we noticed that there was something else missing from uh, our garage. In fact, quite a bit was missing from our garage because they had kicked the door in, and they had kicked the door into our apartment, and they had absolutely robbed and ransacked our entire apartment and took my wife's few pieces of jewelry. They took my computer. They took my camera. And it was an amazing phenomenon to feel so awful as I looked at the door where the door jam was now just shattered into splinter groups. My wife and I looked at each other and we held each other. She was crying and I was angry. And the police came and they said, wow, this is, this is a mess. And we called the insurance company and they said, oh, yeah, we remember you. Oh, I think we can cover some of that. I think your deductible is probably going to be less than what you lost. And, and then we talked to the landlord. And he says, well, I really can't get to fixing the door for a while. We're going to fix it as fast as we can. And about three weeks later, they finally got around to it. And so for every day for three weeks, I barricaded the front door with furniture. I got my old tools out to try to fix a Jimmy, Jimmy a lock. And I remember my wife was terrified every single day. And I remember being terrified for her. The fear that you have become a victim to something awful. It is a terrible feeling to experience. And we just trusted God. And we asked God to take care of us and show us what to do. And after the entire house was fixed, I remember coming back to the home about three weeks after everything was fixed. And I was going to go for my workout and get on my bicycle and go for a ride through the, to the hills of San Francisco. And my bike was gone. Someone had gotten into our garage again and stolen my bicycle. And my, my incredible bike that I loved, it was a wonderful road bike. And we had had enough. 
fear had overcome and we said we've got to go someplace else and God led us to a place away from, a, from, from that home into a new apartment in another city. But I've never forgotten what it feels like to be afraid. I never f- forgot what it felt like to even hold a high-powered handgun in my hands thinking to myself, if they try this again, they will regret it. But still, even though feeling that power in my hand, realizing I was terrified for my wife, terrified for the lives of these people who seem to be picking on us, who have targeted us in that entire neighborhood. No one else was getting robbed. Nobody else was losing things. Just us. And the sense of the raw fear, where can you find peace when something like that robs you of that kind of confidence? That's exactly what God is saying here in the book of Joshua in chapter 1. And God says to Joshua here, the last part, no one, in verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And that same last great statement that is repeated in the book of Hebrews In the language of the biblical language that God chose to communicate this great truth, it's a double negative. And in our English language, a double negative is simply a reversal of that particular negative and turns into a positive. But in the biblical languages, the grammar is not like that. Instead of turning it from a negative to a positive, it just amplifies the reality of the negative by twice. So God is simply saying, I will not under any circumstance, abandon you. No set of circumstances, for any reason, no matter how busy I get, I will never leave you in a lurch. You can't imagine any possibility when I will not be with you. Now guys, if this is a tremendous promise from Almighty God, and His word never ever falls short, Can we go into this life and live the lives that he wants us to live, believing that God is with us every step of the way? It's his promise, not ours. Is it possible for us as individual guys to actually succeed at following somebody else who's been very successful? It is. Arthur Fiedler was an amazing conductor, and for 50 years he led the Boston Symphony. He led the Boston Symphony with one great dream. He was going to take this fancy music that only specialized individuals who love classical music would appreciate, and he wanted to give fine music to all of America for free. That was Arthur Fiedler's dream. He couldn't do it because of the cost of the salary of all of the people in the orchestra of the Boston Symphony. He just could never raise enough money. Then he came across a very clever idea. He took all the principals, the top chair, and all the different different uh, musical groups inside the orchestra and he gave them a free vacation and he took the rest of the orchestra because once you take the salaries of all the principals away from the orchestra the cost of moving that orchestra became very reachable for Arthur Fiedler he took them all over the country he took them all over the world but primarily in the United States giving amazing concerts for everything and everyone in America for free they became the most highly recorded musical orchestra in the history of the United States. For 50 years, Arthur Fiedler did that to the point where people called the Boston Pops an American tradition. 
Now you think about that kind of success for 50 years. Who on earth would want to follow Arthur Fiedler when he retired to become the new maestro of the Boston Pops and the Boston Symphony? Who on earth would want to do that? But the board of directors commiserated. They looked at a lot of different resumes. They looked at a lot of different brilliant musicians. And they finally decided upon a guy by the name of John Williams. And when they found out that John Williams was going to be the next conductor and follow Arthur Fuller, everyone asked, John Williams? He, he writes music for movies, doesn't he? How on earth can he be a follower of Arthur Fiedler? But his new position as the successor to Arthur Fiedler launched him into an orbit that today no one would ever think themselves of trying to follow John Williams. He won an Oscar for Jaws, Fiddler on the Roof, Star Wars. Can you imagine those movies without the music that came with it? Absolutely brilliant. And since then, he's won two more Oscars for incredible presentations. He's won so many awards as far as nominations for Oscars. He's second only to Walt Disney for the number of nominations for an Oscar. For movies that never won an Oscar, like Superman or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Can you imagine those movies without the music? Because this great conductor followed somebody else who was incredibly successful. But because he grasped, in a sense, what raw fear was all about. Set aside comparatives of other human beings. Took the confidence that he mustered out of his own gifts so that self-doubt will never cripple him. Now if that can happen in the world of music, what do you think could happen in a world where Jesus Christ is our Savior and the Holy Spirit controls everything in our lives? Well, gentlemen, one of the best parts of why we are going to gather is your table talk. And around your table is a list of questions and issues that you can discuss straight from this passage of Scripture. Take a look at that paper, open up your Bibles, and have a great discussion and make a strong commitment to say to yourselves, with my guys here, I want to be able to write down Something different that's going to happen in my life because of what I've studied here in John 1, Joshua 1. What God told Joshua, is he telling me? Am I struggling with comparisons with other people? Am I struggling with the issues of self-doubt? Am I overwhelmed simply with the issue of fear that's crippling me from unleashing what God's gifts are in my life into the lives of people that I can influence and impact? Have a great day. Table Talk. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Thank you.